Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, great to see you here. Uh, just for my purpose, how many of you were here last night? Okay, so I don't, I can't tell the same jokes again, right? <laughs> That's what that means. All right, I do have a couple jokes for you. Okay, the first one is this: There's this guy driving down uh, the street in a pickup truck, and he has he has half a dozen penguins in the back of the pickup truck, and a police officer sees that and pulls him over and says, what, what are you doing with these penguins in the back of your pickup truck? And the guy said, well, well they're my penguins. I just I take them with me everywhere I go. And the police officer said, listen, sir, you need to take those penguins to the zoo today. And he said, all right, officer. So the next day, the officer's out on the same street, and he sees the same guy driving down the street in a pickup truck with these half dozen penguins in the back of the truck, but now they have sunglasses on. And he pulls him over and he said, I thought I told you to take these penguins to the zoo. And the guy said, well, I did. And today I'm taking them to the beach. <laughs> All right, one more. See, it takes you a little bit of warm up, you know, so this one will get a real laugh, I'm sure. There's this cruise ship and people on the cruise and, and they're going, they're out in the middle of you know, the ocean somewhere and they go past this remote island. And as they're going past the island, there's a bearded man running up and down the beach screaming at them and waving his arms. And they're, they're kind of befuddled and one of them went to the captain and said, who is this guy? And he said, I don't know, but every, time, every year when we go past his island, he goes crazy like that. Okay, do I have to explain this? <laughs> do you get it? Shake your head if you get the joke, even if you don't think it's funny. Okay, good, good. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Last few years, um, I have, and many of us at our church have taken to making uh, declarations, which I used to look at, and I thought, well, that's kind of silly, you know, just make up, you know, these sayings and stuff, but declarations need to be biblical truth. And when, when you recognize a declaration is really founded on biblical truth and the intent of it is to take truth and to, to move it past even my conscious mind into my subconscious being so that it is the way I respond to life. And so uh, I, I've, I've been doing a lot of declarations lately and here's one that I like to start my day with. In fact, I say this just about every day when I wake up. I'm going, to, I'm going to repeat it to you, then I'm going to have us all say it together. I say, this is a great day. God's doing great things in me and through me today. This is a day of victory and breakthrough. Okay? You do that every morning, and you recognize this is truth because God is good, and God is powerful, and the Holy Spirit is at work in my life. And, and God's mercies are new every morning. And when, when, you, when you realize that and you make a declaration like this from the heart, it really starts to do something within you. The Holy Spirit uses it. So I'm going I'm to say this a phrase at a time and you repeat it after me, okay? So the first phrase is this, this is a great day. God's doing great things in me and through me today. This is a day of victory and breakthrough. Okay, I pray that'll be the, 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 uh, the growing truth within us, which enables us to respond to all of the ups and downs of life. You know, there's a really a, a f a fun word for the ups and downs of life. It's vicissitudes. And so for all the vicissitudes, the ups and the downs, the things that we are happy happen, and the things that make us sad that happen, all, all of the vicissitudes of life, this gives us strength to walk through them. Well, in 1979, I was graduating from seminary in Warsaw, Indiana, and uh, Lori and I uh, were, had already made plans with a church in South Bend, Indiana, which was about an hour, hour and a half north of us. We were going to go to this church of 12 people, I think they had at the beginning, and we also had a family of mice we found, and so we were taught you count anything that's warm and breathing. You know, so maybe 17 or 18 
you know, living creatures in the church. But um, uh, we were also uh, about to have our first child. And our, our, child, our son was due, I think, when? September? Something, something like September 12th or something like that. And, um, you know, and we came to a point in August, late August, where we had not sold our house yet. And so we couldn't buy a new house near the church we were moving to. And Lori said to me one day, with less, like three weeks to go before the baby's actually due, he was a couple weeks late, but Lori said, well, I just hope and pray that we can sell the house and move before the baby's born. And so like, we're like two weeks away from the due date. Don't even have any offers on our house. And uh, I'm thinking, oh, silly, Lori. You don't understand how life works, do you? And uh, next day, in the evening, a couple real estate agent called and said, would you meet us, meet me at my office? And there was a couple there who offered us cash for our house. And the only thing was we had to be out by that weekend. And so we negotiated that a little bit and moved all of our stuff into the garage and uh, they bought our house. With the next day, we went to South Bend and saw a real estate agent. We found a house back in these back in these days in the 70s there was a real estate company that if they didn't sell your house in a certain amount of time, they would buy your house. And so it was one of those deals. And the um, family had just moved out like a week before. So the house is sitting there empty. And it was perfect house for us. And we bought it. And within two weeks and two days of the time Lori said that, we had sold one house, closed on it, bought another house, closed on it, and moved in. Two weeks and maybe three days. Two and a half weeks, let's say that. The whole thing happened. And, you know, I think about that often, and I think God was probably in heaven saying, Van, pay attention to this. Your wife believes I answer her prayers. She put her hope in me, not in the statistics or what you see happening around you. And apparently you don't. So stand back and watch this. Man, stand back and watch this and watch and learn. You know, it reminds me of a joke. Um, I, I hope none of you take offense to this. I come from hillbilly territory myself. But have you ever heard of the last words of a hillbilly? Yeah. Well, I, I, heard, I heard it like this. Hey, y'all, someone hold my beer and watch this. Well, I want to tell you, when God says, hey, y'all, watch this, something happens. Something good happens. And, and so hope. I want to talk to you about hope today because hope is one of the most powerful things in the Bible. It's one of the most powerful things we can have in our hearts and lives, and it really is an essential element, not just to living a joyful life, but to having a life that impacts others. And, and so hope, we, you, you probably all know this, but hope is not like hope when I wish upon a star or, oh boy, I wish that hadn't happened or I hope this does happen. And you know, just like a random desire expressed. In the Bible, in fact, in the Old Testament, this is very interesting. The word for hope at the root means to stretch out a line. You know, to take a take a line and stretch it out. Now, what that means is this: that it, it the meaning of that then coming into hope came into hope this way: that hope is taking a point from where I am right now and stretching myself out into the future and seeing God there. Okay, hope is me stretching a line out into the future and seeing God there. And because I see God there, my heart is filled with hope because I know God's good and I know God's for me and I know God loves me. And that, that's why one of the declarations that I've made uh, over and over is this, that Whatever happens, I'll be okay. Whatever happens, in fact, I will thrive because Jesus is with me. 
A friend of mine says this, and, and you can define things like this. You could, you could debate these definitions, but I, I like the way this is juxtaposed. Faith is confidence in God doing a certain thing. It's confidence in a promise of God as I'm interpreting it or as I'm seeing it. It's something I've asked of God, and so I have faith, which means I'm going to wait patiently for that. Hope is the confidence that even if I don't get that, I'm going to be okay. Even if, even if that thing doesn't happen, I will be okay because Jesus is with me. And so we all need to live with hope. We all need hope. And, and, and I want us to understand the, the power of hope and how to walk in hope. Well, another one of our big moves, in 1994, we were moving from Owasso, Michigan, um, I shared this story last night, uh, had to resign the church I was at because I had a major shift in my theology away from cessationism, which is that the gifts of the Spirit are dead, into believing the gifts of the Spirit are still alive. And so uh, we resigned that church, had four children, had another church that we could have gone to, but they, we, we decided God didn't want us to take that church. We moved to Champaign, Illinois, with no place to live, no house, and no job. Okay, so I mean, this, there's a lot of turmoil in that and a lot of uh, questions involved in a move like that. But here's what came to me. I thought to myself, in five years, I'm gonna look back on this and I'm gonna be saying, look at what God did. Look at how awesome God is. And so I just decided this, why don't I just reach into the future and grab hold of some of that joy and bring it back into the present right now? Why don't I just reach into the future and say, well, okay, I know it's going to turn out good. It's going to be a great story, and a great story that glorifies God. And so I'm going to live on that joy today. And, and it just buoyed my heart, and it strengthened me to, to be able to go through that whole season of time with real confidence and hope. Because hope is confidence in God's goodness, confidence in the future because God's with me. And so the, the whole idea of hope and, um, and, and looking into the future, stretching that line out into the future and seeing God there present with me, the first time I experienced that, uh, I was a brand new believer. I hope I didn't share this last night. Parker, if I did, you stop me, okay? Yeah, flag me down. I was a brand new believer, and I had just heard some missionaries uh, talk about ministry, and they, they were in a very primitive tribal setting. And I remember this missionary talking about going out by a fire and crouching down with the other people from this tribe they were living with, and someone handing her a fried egg in their hand into her hand for her breakfast. And I pictured myself in that spot. Intentionally, I pictured myself in that spot, and I just thought, God, I sure hope you don't call me to that. <laughs> I don't know if I could do that. And then in, the, in this, I had created the, the image, but then Jesus came into the image. And I saw Jesus crouched beside me, and I thought, oh, if you call me to that, no matter how hard it would be, you're going to be there with me, and that would make it all okay. And so just peace, <clears throat> peace came into my heart. We're going we're gonna to talk about the relationship of peace and joy and hope uh, in a few minutes with one of the key passages. But Lamentations chapter 3 says this. It says, I recall this to mind, therefore I have hope. And here's what he recalls. The Lord's mercies never end, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So he's saying here, the Lord's mercies never end, compassions never fail. That, that is projecting into the future. That's that Old Testament concept of stretching a line out, stretching my mind and my heart into the future and recognizing God's merciful. And he says, his mercies are new every morning. That means today, brand new, fresh, fresh mercies. He doesn't run out. They don't get, it doesn't get stale. He's not saying, well, you didn't really take full advantage of the mercies yesterday, so you got to eat old mercies today. 
You know, like if people do with kids sometimes, which I'm not sure is a good idea. But, uh, you know, you didn't eat your dinner, so you have to eat it for breakfast. Maybe they do that more like in institutions, like prisons and stuff. I don't know. But it's not like that. God's not like saying, well, hey, you had some yesterday. You haven't used it all. No, his are new and fresh every day. And that is a future view of life. And that's how we, that's how we walk in hope is realizing every day it's fresh, every day it's new, and I don't have to um, live on something old. God is fresh and new every day in my life. Now, to the Israelites in captivity, uh, God said this in Jeremiah 29, 11. He said, I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare and not for calamity, that you might have a future and a hope. Now, plans always project into the future, don't they? I mean, plans are always about the future. You don't plan for something yesterday. It's always about the future. And so God's saying, my plans, my future for you is something that's going to bring welfare into your life. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy or there won't be hardship or there won't be rejection we face or pain, but it does mean Jesus is going to be with us and his mercies are new every morning. And when we can get in touch with the, the truth that He is what we need, He is the one that gives us life, and even if everything went well according to our human thinking in a week or two weeks or a month or a year, my life could still be miserable if I don't have Jesus. I need Jesus. And so whatever happens out there, I'm going to be okay because Jesus is with me. And truthfully, if I'm committed to ministry, then there's going to be difficulty. Well, there's going to be difficulty in life one way or the other, but especially if I'm committed to ministry to others and committed to really obeying Jesus, then I have an enemy that is going to bring, do his very best to bring pressure into my life and pain into my life. And I need to know at those moments that God's good and Jesus is with me. Therefore, I can make it through this. I'm going to not just make it through. I'm going to thrive through this. I'm going to wake. I'm going to be joyful through this. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, we have a tendency to reserve joy for after the thing has succeeded. You know, like, well, we had a great worship service. Wow, that really makes us happy, really joyful. You know, we, we're going through a difficulty, and, and it turns out, you know, to our benefit or you know, the way we want it to. And so we, you know, I'm just rejoicing in what happened. But the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. I need joy at the beginning of the battle, not after the battle. And so we, we have to, you, you have to learn how to live in hope that stretching out into the future, I'm going to rejoice over this. I'm going to rejoice over what God did through this time. And so I'm going to get that joy. I'm going to bring it back right now to the beginning of the battle. This is the moment I need the joy because the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so this whole idea is of hope is all about recognizing the future and God, just God's goodness. And he's going to be with me and he doesn't change. And his mercies are new and fresh every morning and I'm going to thrive because Jesus is with me. And if I'm thriving because Jesus is with me, then I can say, I'm going to complete my mission. I will complete my mission. If I can honestly say, I'm learning how to thrive no matter what, I'm learning how to thrive, and I live on that. I'm going to thrive because Jesus is with me. Then I can be confident just based on that, I'm walking closely with the Lord, and I am going to complete my mission. And, and, I, and this is a little side note, but there's a difference between mission and potential. And we have to reject the, the, the worldly concept of potential because potential is me evaluating. I mean, I know God could talk to us about our potential, and he does, but not using that, that, that type of thinking. It, there's a trap in potential. In fact, I've heard people say the. <clears throat> the greatest burden you can bear in life is potential. Because what if you don't live up to your potential? You know, you know, the burden of living up to my potential might actually keep me from coming anywhere close to living up to my potential because it's a burden. 
And so we don't want to think about potential. In fact, there's a way to look at it to say even Jesus didn't fulfill his potential from a human perspective. I mean, he could have healed everyone in the Mediterranean world if he had just lived to be 100 years old. If, if, if he had lived to be Moses' age, 120, think of what he could have done. He could have been king of the, he could have been, could have been king of the whole, of the whole earth. But that, that really is what Satan offered him, isn't it? So I think that's a lot more in line with the thinking of potential than, than what we need to think of is mission. What is my mission? What's the mission God's given me? And to focus on me giving my life to a mission that God has assigned to me. And boy, when I do that, then I know I'm going to walk in joy and I'm going to thrive no matter what happens because Jesus is with me. And when I have that as my mode of thinking and my daily, and I'm learning to live more and more in hope, then I can be confident and I can say, I will fulfill my mission because God's good. God's with me. God's for me. So this whole, this whole idea of hope is based on this concept of projecting into the future and just seeing God's goodness and knowing he's good today, he's going to be good, he's going to be good there, whatever I might face. Now, Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, is a great illustration of this in the Bible. In Luke 1, you, you remember the story probably where an angel comes to Mary and says, Hail, thou favored of the Lord, blessed of the Lord. Now, I'm, I'm going to plug a, a more worldly mindset into Mary's, Mary's uh, heart right now and say, she could have thought, oh boy, I am blessed of God. I'm going to win the lottery. Or, or does, does that mean, that means I'm going to become the queen. Uh, the king is going to want to marry me. I'm going to become the queen or I'm going to become famous. I mean, blessed of the Lord, you are blessed. But, but then the, the angel goes on to say, you're going to have a son, you're going to name him Jesus. He's going to save his people from their sins, and he's going to be great, and he's going to be the king of Israel, and of his kingdom, his kingdom will never end. And so then Mary asks a simple question. <clears throat> she says to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Now, it's important to recognize earlier, uh, Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist, asked a question, but his question was, came out of doubt. You know, how can that happen? That can't happen. We're too old. And so he, he couldn't speak until John the Baptist was actually born, and he said his name will be John. But Mary's question is not born of doubt. She, she understands, you know, what God's telling her, and her heart is pliable. She just wants to know, well, you know, I don't understand. Just can you, can you give me some more clarity on this? I'm all for it. But, you know, what is it? What's happening? And so then the angel says um, that uh, the Holy Spirit's going to come on her. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, also, the Holy Child will be called the Son of, the, of, the, uh, the Son of God. And then he says, for nothing will be impossible with God. That's a very interesting phrase, nothing will be impossible with God. And I don't really know why they translate it the way they do, because the word here is rhema. It says no rhema from God could ever be impossible. That's a good trans. No word of God, no word God speaks could ever not happen. And so it's, it's a powerful statement, but it is the word rhema, which means word, and it refers to specific words that God gives. It's not like logos, which is the word of God. But... Um, it's just a powerful, powerful promise. And so here's what Mary says. Behold, the Lord's bondservant, may it be done to me according to your word. Now, I want to tell you, she had confidence in the goodness of God. She knew hope. And, but to this point, what had she been looking forward to? She was excited about getting married, building a life with Joseph. You know, having, you know, becoming part of Joseph's household and family and him, and him part of her family. She was looking forward to that. And boy, when she gets this promise, it's all up in the air now. What's good, what will Joseph do? And nevertheless, even though this comes to her, 
something that could turn all of her hopes and dreams upside down, she understands that whatever happens, she'll thrive because, well, Jesus, because God's with her, and Jesus will be in her. She, she, so there's hope. And in, in spite of the fact that it looks like it's, it's going to be a very dark and bleak time, there's hope for her because God's with her. And she knows, yeah, whatever happens, do you realize that for the rest of her life, she had the shadow of, of, of being an immoral woman hanging over her head? In, in Jesus' ministry, there's one time when the Pharisees wanted to take a jab at him, and they said, well, at least we weren't born of immorality. So that tells you they had dug into they had dug into his story, and there were still rumors about Mary and whether or not she was really the godly woman she portrayed herself as. In spite of all that, she just says, "God, whatever you say, I'm with you wholeheartedly," because she knew God's goodness <clears throat> and she knew how to walk in hope. So say with me, "I will thrive no matter what happens because Jesus is with me." Say that with me. I will thrive no matter what happens because Jesus is with me. So we come to the quintessential verse on hope, which is Romans, in my opinion anyway, Romans 15, 13. Here the Apostle Paul says um, some just incredible and powerful things about hope that I want to unpack for us. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he's the God of hope. That means hope's part of who he is. That means God's confident about the future, okay? He's confident about the future. He doesn't have any worries. He knows and so he is the God who releases hope to us. He's the God who gives hope to us. So what this means is that even when you and I might feel hopeless, God's not hopeless on our behalf. He's not looking at you thinking, oh man, I'm hopeless. I have no hope for him. God, God has confidence even when we don't. A uh, guy I've mentioned many times, Steve Backless, said he was struggling at one point and God spoke to him and said, Steve, you have my permission to feel hopeless about anything I feel hopeless about. Yeah, you have my permission to feel hopeless about anything I feel hopeless about. And by the way, if, if, you, want to, if, you, if you want to delve more into much of the truths behind this message, uh, Steve Backlund's ministry is called Igniting Hope. Igniting Hope, is it international or just Igniting Hope? I think it's .com, ignitinghope.com. Uh, a great guy, one of our favorites, and um, really love the guy. It re really benefits so much uh, by, by his life. But he says this, um, Paul says this, that, you, he, that God would fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So God wants to fill us with joy and peace because of our believing, our faith in Him, and the activity of believing. He's talking about the activity of ongoing activity of believing. It reminded me of a book I read many years ago called Future Grace, written by a guy named John Piper. And in it, Piper talks about grace coming to us at the exact moment we need it. And so that means I'm living on the basis of future grace but what he was talking about was grace I'm going to receive in a millisecond. And if I have something happening tomorrow that I'm, that I'm struggling over, well, grace that I'm going to receive then. If you ever had a meeting, you're, you're worried about the meeting. I've learned to say, okay, God, I might not have grace to really to process that right now, but I know I'm going to get grace to process it before the meeting. And, and so that's projecting myself into the future with the confidence that, God, you've done it so many times before. So many times before. I've been worried about a meeting, and I've fretted over it, and I've made all these great plans about that meeting to try to control things. And then when I get there, 
you step in, you take over, and it's beautiful, and it's great. And, and even times when it hasn't been beautiful and great, I'm still here. I've survived, and I've grown through it. And so that the, the idea of future grace is a, a powerful thing, and it really fits into this whole topic that God rolls out grace for us when we need it. And sometimes what we're doing is we are worrying about things that it's not time for us to focus on yet. And so I don't really, you know, the grace is going to come for that, but my grace for right now is grace to believe that the grace will come for that. Does that make sense? That, that when I hit that point, I don't have to worry ahead about what I'm going to say. I'm not saying you don't prepare for things or you don't think, but, but I'm not going to worry about it because Holy Spirit's going to give me the words I need to speak. He hasn't given those to me yet. Well, that's okay. I'm going to get them when I get there. And the, the grace I have now is grace to believe that, that God's going to meet me and give me what I need before that happens. And so that's, that's how we live on the, this whole basis of hope. And so one of, the, one of the declarations that we've made a lot is this. The future will be better than the present, and God's given me power to help make it so. Okay, you get that the future will be better than the present, and God's given me power to help make it so. So it's going to be better because I'm going to be more mature. It's going to be better because Jesus is there with me, and it's ultimately going to be better because we all know where it ends, either in Christ returning or in me going to be with him before he returns. And so the future is going to be better than the present, and I have power to help make it so. It, it's, 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 it's focusing our hearts and our minds on the truth of God's goodness and provision for us to face life. So he says he's going to fill us with joy and peace in believing. Our part is believing. And uh, believing in Jesus gets us saved. Now, believing like Jesus gets us mature. You get that? Believing in Jesus gets us saved, but learning to believe like Jesus. What did Jesus believe about life? What did he believe about God and how God works in our lives? Learning to believe like him is what moves us ahead into maturity and the freedom that, that we all want from whatever hangups or whatever things are happening in our lives. And this is so important to understand that um, <clears throat> believing, one of the mistakes so many people make is they believe that their emotions are the monitor of truth, that emotions gauge, you know, if my emotions are good, then well, then this must be true. If my emotions are down, well, then this must not be true. But all, all emotions do is to reveal they don't validate truth. They validate what I think is true. Okay, whatever I think is true, my emotions ba are based upon that. And so if I think God sometimes helps and God sometimes doesn't, if I think God is in heaven tapping his foot impatient with his children and, oh boy, if they, had just, if they were just a little bit better, I would help them. If, if I think it's on, on my performance, then my emotions are going to run that way. But if I'm confident in who God is, and, and I'm confident in His grace and His mercy, that His, His uh, mercy is new every morning, and there's always grace for what I have to face in life, if I recognize that, who He is and His love for me, then my emotions are going to, are going to run on that plane rather than on, on the other and so, so often what we do, have you ever been in a situation where um, there's a you know, big question about what you should do, and, and you're thinking, well, maybe we should just trust God with this and move ahead this way, and someone says, well, you got to consider the facts. Okay, here are the facts. You don't have enough money to do this. You don't have enough uh, time to do this, and on and on. Those are the facts. Well, what we have to decide is what, what is the greater reality, the unseen realm or the seen realm? 
Because normally when we say, well, these are the facts, we're talking about stuff in the seen realm, aren't we? But the, where did the seen realm come from? The unseen realm, didn't it? Okay, now, the, the more true doesn't come, doesn't surpass the thing that it came from. The, any, nothing, nothing is more real. How am I going to put this? The greater reality creates the lesser reality. It's not the other way around. And so the unseen realm is the greater reality. And so if I can begin to get my mind wrapped around that and receiving and understanding the promises of God and, the, and who he is, then my emotions are going to take a, a, a turn for the better. If I'm struggling, and I'm not talking about someone who's having extreme um, chemical imbalances in their body, but maybe the, the extreme chemical imbalance sometimes is a result of living with wrong beliefs for many, many years. And, and that's part of getting, getting, getting that all straightened out. Now, <clears throat> he says to be filled with joy and peace. And to be filled with joy and peace means you have to have something to fill it, pour it into. And the thing that is kind of like the liner of our hearts that enables us to contain joy and peace is believing. It's what I believe. It's what I believe is the greater reality. It's what I believe about God and, and how much that belief has really sunk into my, my heart or my subconscious thinking so that it's just my natural reaction. Like, I believe spiders are bad. And so if I look down and see a spider on, on, you know, on the paper in front of me, I'm, I'm going to react without thinking, especially if it's a black, hairy spider or it looks like a wolf spider or a brown recluse or something like that, especially if it's a black widow-looking thing, you know, with a big black bulbous rear end. I just react to that. I don't, I don't have to think, oh, how should I respond to this? What do I believe about this? And, and when God's truth becomes that inside of us, just the natural reaction to this, then th that's really the essence of spiritual growth. That's, that's what growth is. That's what growth is, is all consists of, is having truth come into that realm of my existence so that it's my natural response to life. But um, the believing part is what contains. It gives us the liner to contain it. And then he says... He, he, so that we will overflow with hope. This is all from Romans 15, 13. So that we will overflow with hope. And it's interesting, he wants us to be filled with peace and joy, filled with peace and joy, so that we can overflow with hope. And th that tells us something about the power of hope. He wants us, our lives, to overflow with hope. In 1 Peter 3.15, Peter says this, he says, sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ in your hearts, or sanctify Jesus Christ in your hearts as Lord, and be ready always to give a reason for the hope that you have. And so what that is saying is that what the unbelieving world is attracted to is people with hope. And I'm not talking about hope slogans. And these declarations are not slogans because they're a means of taking truth and bringing it deep into our being. Slogans would be little statements like, all things work out for good. Although that's a biblical statement, I don't think it's, when it's stated, it, it's taken out of context so often. Not, not slogans, but really a settled, confident hope that when that flows out of us, People around us notice, and they're interested. And you know, one of the one of the things about hope is, if and I'm going to tie this to another passage, but um, if I live with hope, I'm going to have a different attitude towards people and life situations, so that I'm not like a complaining type person. And there's a verse in Philippians, I think it is, where where Paul says, "Stop complaining." And if you stop complaining, you will shine like lights on a dark night. 
Isn't that something? All you have to do is stop complaining. Don't complain, and people are going to say, wow, there's something different about you. And the, the whole, the foundation of not complaining is hope. When you live with hope, hope that overflows, it, it, it impacts people, and, and it draws people. And listen, the people around us, they need, they desperately need to see people who have hope, live with hope, express hope, but the, they can just sense you know, when everything's falling apart, well, why aren't you rattled by this? You know, why why aren't you de- why aren't you desperate like the rest of us over this situation? And and it gives it it's just a powerful thing. People need to uh, they need to be around people who can look into the future and say Jesus is there. That's why I'm not rattled. Jesus is here right now and He's there. When we get to that, Jesus is going to still be here. And, and so hope, and he says hope is in the power of the Holy Spirit. So hope is attached to Holy Spirit power. And what that means is that the person with the most hope has the most influence. The person with the most hope is going to have the most influence. The person with the most hope is going to have the most impact on the atmosphere in the room. If you're ever in a room where everything's dark, and, uh, and by dark I mean, uh, let, let's say just anxious, there's anxiety in the room, you know, as, as a child of God, you can open up the window and let hope in. Now, you don't even have to say anything. Just rebuke the darkness, Re- rebuke Rebuke the negativity, rebuke the fear and the anxiety, and speak words of hope. Don't like chide everyone and say, oh, you all need to have hope. That's not it. It is, you, you are a bearer of hope, so just release it. Let it happen. Let it come. Uh, the person with the most hope has the greatest capacity for creativity. Did you know that? Did you know fear kills creativity? God's not given us a spirit of uh, fear, but of power and of love and it's translated differently. I love the translation, though, of having studied the word intently, a sound mind. He gives us a sound mind. That means my mind can be what God created it to be, and creativity is a huge part of that. And so hope stirs creativity. Um, the person with the most hope is probably going to see the most healings. Is probably going to see the most number of people set free. Because there's a flowing in the power of the Holy Spirit when we, when we walk in hope. And I think I'm getting close to my, my uh, ending time here. Is that right or am I well over? Close. Okay, thank you. So I have another 20 minutes? Well, whatever. I'll, I'll thrive because Jesus is with me. Okay, yeah, I, I'm going to draw it to a close here soon. But 2 Timothy 4.10 says this. We have fixed our hope on the living God. Fix your hope. You get to decide. You can fix your hope someplace. It's it's a choice. It's a choice. Fix your hope on the living God. Choose to fix your hope on the living God. That's what Lori did when she was thinking the impossible. How, How do you sell one house, buy another house, and move in two and a half weeks? I've never heard of anybody else doing that. I'm sure it's happened, but uh, she was choosing to fix her hope on the Lord. I was choosing to fix my hope on everything I knew about life in this realm. She was fixing her hope on the unseen realm. And so choose. Choose to put your hope. Choose to fix your hope on God. One aspect of that is in decision-making have a good decision-making process, make a decision, and then attach faith to it. That's, that's part of the whole hope thing. Just, all right, we, we went through the process, we prayed, we sought God earnestly and made this decision, and unless God breaks in and tells you something totally different to do, you, you attach 
faith or you attach hope to that decision and you move ahead knowing God uses imperfect decisions all the time, doesn't he? That's all the, the only kind he ever uses are imperfect decisions and imperfect people. So fix faith to it, attach faith to it. Um, my grandpa Van Dyke had Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. They, they, I was never sure which, but I have his genetic code. So there was a point in time many years ago, this kind of like started to weigh on me. And I thought, well, what if I'm going to get that too? And then, you know what I thought? I thought, nah, scientists and doctors, they'll have that all figured out by the time I'm my grandfather's age. Well, I'm older than my grandfather was when he died, and they haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> and so I wrongly put my hope in science and, you know, trust the science. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, don't ignore the science, but I wrongly put my hope in that, and it let me down. Far better to put my hope in God. And hey, if they figure it out, that's awesome too. I'm glad for that. But my hope needs to be put in God, in the in 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 God and who He is. So, um, just to 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 close this, to wrap this up, uh, I want to give you this one thought: that there, we're we're going to experience. Our, our hope can be attached to the next life. I think in the vineyard, we focus so much on the kingdom coming right now that we don't think of the future and you know what we typically refer to as heaven. But we, we, in 1 Peter, Peter said this. He said, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit for your, fix your hope. Again, fix your hope. You choose completely on the grace brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, that grace is going to be the grace where we are glorified and we enter into the, I'm just going to call it the eternal state, what, we, what you typically think of as heaven, you know, God's presence, where we live in God's presence and all of this stuff here is left behind. But notice this, he's speaking to people who are facing persecution and they have a mission and, and they have a call of God in the midst of the persecution. And so he's saying, look, fix your hope on that life that's coming. But he also says this, prepare your minds for action. And so fixing your hope on that life gives you strength to do what you have to work on, to fulfill your mission in this life. It's not pie in the sky. It is the reality of knowing that's going to happen so I'm going to be okay. The future is definitely going to be better than the present. And that's going to strengthen me to keep on going today. So there's, there's that aspect of it, whether we, whether we get there through death or through Christ's return. And you know, when Jesus returns, the Bible says we're going to be changed in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, we are going to be changed. What that means is Christians that, uh, that, they're blind. The blind are going to see instantly as, as Jesus returns and we're, we're taken up into him. Uh, the deaf are going to be, be instantly healed. Uh, they're going to be bald heads. They're going to suddenly sprout a full head of hair. Isn't that nice? Yeah. They're going to be people that are going to drop 100 pounds just like that. Just going to be gone as, as, we, as, as, as we enter into that eternal state. And, you know, one question I get, I've gotten many times is, will I get to go fishing in heaven? Or will I get to play baseball in heaven? Or any number of things. You know what my answer is? If once you get there, you still want to go fishing, my guess is you'll get to do it. Okay, so just leave it at that. All right, whatever's going to be, it's going to be great. Okay, so we don't have to, we don't have to. But there's also hope in this life, not just hope for the future life. There's hope in this life. I, you know, I, I went through a period of time where I thought God had destined me to be a failure as a pastor. And my way that I'm going to glorify God is I'm going to fail, but I'm going to do it really well. I'm going to fail with a really good attitude, and I'm going to fail with a really good heart, and I'm still going to be trusting God even though I'm failing. And um, this verse, Psalm 27, 13 and 14, 
really started to break me out of that, that mindset, that kind of like negative thinking. And it says this, he says, I would have despaired if I hadn't believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Okay, here, he's not just talking about heaven. He's, I'm going to see God's goodness in this land now. And that, that's just a powerful verse for us to hold on to. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart, and wait for the Lord. So Christ in you is the hope of glory, and we are confident in God's goodness. Look into the future with confidence because God is there. The future will be better than the present, and I have power to help make it so. And no matter what happens, I'll thrive because Jesus is with me. And I just encourage you to start every day with this. This is a great day. Let's end with this, okay? I'll say it, and then you can say it after me. If you know the whole thing already, you can. But this is a great day, all right, everybody? This is a great day. God's doing great things in me and through me today. This is a day of victory and breakthrough. Okay, amen. Worship team, would you come on up, please? As they do, um, my encouragement is check that out, Igniting Hope. It, it has changed our lives, I think. It's re really, in fact, one day as the worship team comes up, Lori and I were cooking and um, together, and at the end of it, I said, hey, you know what? We didn't bicker at each other. Like, I'm very particular. I know how I want to slice the carrots if I'm cooking. And if someone else does it and they do it a different way, I'm easily, I have, have been easily irritated. And, but I said, well, this was wonderful. We didn't bicker or anything. And Lori said, that's because you're becoming a nicer person. <laughs> and then she said, what's making you a nicer person? And I had to say, you know what? I think it's my friendship with Steve Backlund. And igniting hope, I think that that has met a need in my life that I desperately had and I had not had met yet and healing in my heart. And so hope, hope is, is just a wonderful, wonderful thing to leave you with.